let's go ahead and take our Bibles, and uh, we're going to turn over to John chapter number 1, uh, the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. We're going to be looking in chapter number 1 today. Uh, I'm going to start up a new series over the next coming weeks uh, concerning the nature of God, and uh, this is something that you heard me mention it, I'm sure, a few weeks ago, about how this is something that's been on my mind, uh, something I wanted to kind of delve into uh, we're going to look through Scripture, and I hope as we get into this, it's my desire uh, that in this short series that you and I will allow the Spirit of God to rewrite if necessary and introduce a more clear and accurate understanding of who our God is so it will lead us into a more consistent and deep fellowship with Him. It's very important. Um, understand that every one of us, myself included, have preconceived ideas about who God is. Every one of us. Now, for the most part, there are things that we all agree on. You know what I'm saying? There are certain things that me and Kevin can sit down and just go across the board. It's kind of a basic kind of a structure about the nature of God that we're going to agree on. And those are usually not the points. I mean, we don't really all argue over the fact, is God Lord of all? We don't argue over that. Uh, we don't argue over the fact, is God eternal? We don't argue, you know, those are the things that we're not arguing about. The things that cause us consternation in our own personal walk with God, and when it comes to our interaction with other believers, are things like, what is God like in His interactions with us? That's where we really start getting hung up, you know what I mean? Uh, because me and Nick can get into discussion, and he may think God acts this way towards human beings, and I may think he acts a different way. Uh, and then that's where we come into some big issues as far as more than just relating to one another, though it does have an effect. You see, if I feel like the nature of God is harsh and judgmental, that's the way I'm going to eventually treat you, you know what I mean? I'm not going to give you any grace whatsoever if I feel like God is not giving me any grace whatsoever. You see what I'm saying? And so as we jump into what the Scripture has to say about God, I'm hoping that the things that are accurate, the Bible is going to reinforce for us. That's what's going to happen, I should say. I'm not hoping it is going to happen. And I'm, my desire is, is for me as well as for you is that where we think wrong about the nature of God, uh, that the Spirit of God is going to address those in your mind very clearly. Uh, I'm not talking about it in an ambiguous way. As we go on in this, this morning is kind of an introductory type message, but as we go on into this, I'm going to be making some pretty pointed statements about God is like this. Now, if I'm unsure about it and I don't see it clearly in Scripture, I'm not going to say it by the grace of God. But I want to really challenge you and I in some areas about how we think God operates. Uh, because there's a lot of residue, there's, there's leftovers. When I was a kid, uh, I grew up in St. Elmo, my people. And uh, we, that's right, me and Robert, that's why we're, we got that connection there, uh, that redneck connection. Actually, that sounds like a sticker we should have in the back of our pickup truck, the redneck connection. <laughs> but uh, when I was growing up, I was my, we lived in the age where you could let your kids just run wild and free and not have to worry about the psychopath next door, you know. Uh, but I would go out and play all day, and I would come back in, and uh, my mom would tell me, I was eight years old, tell me to get in the bath. I get in the bathtub, I get out, and there's just a ring of dirt, you know, all the way around that thing. You know, you know you have officially played when there's a ring of dirt left in the bathtub, right? And uh, so at that same ring, spiritually speaking, is still in a lot of our thinking. It's in mine, it's in yours. Uh, we have immersed ourselves in a way of thinking that's not always completely accurate, and so there's that residue left that the Spirit of God and that the Word of God and the person of Jesus is going to take away. 
Uh, I don't know about you, but I don't like getting in a dirty bathtub, right? And so I don't want to live my life with a wrong way of thinking or a skewed way of thinking. And we're going to start off in John chapter number 1. Now, let me encourage you also, I thought about this the other day, and uh, if you've got a Bible, bring your Bible. I know you got it on your phone, you can use that, that's fine, but I want to encourage you to follow along with me when I'm reading this stuff. Uh, first off, because you can trust the Bible more than you can trust me, uh, and uh, we need to know what God says. So look at John chapter number 1, <clears throat> verse number 1. Uh, I'm going to have to pick my Bible up, Brother Ronnie. It's, it's broken. The words, every week, they get smaller, all right? I'm going to have to borrow your bifocals for long. Uh, it says in verse number 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him, now that is a reference to Christ, in him, in Christ, was life, and the light, excuse me, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines, and notice in verse number 5, it does not say that the light shined in darkness. It says that the light shines in darkness. And then it goes on to say, and the darkness did not comprehend it. You see, because that's very important because in our minds we think to ourselves, well, Jesus is not here anymore, the light's not shining in darkness. Well, that's not true, it's still shining out. It's not shining out in His physical presence on the earth, it's shining out in His spiritual presence on the earth in you. And so I think that verse is very interesting. Now drop down with me, and the reason why we're skipping these verses is not because they're not important, but they're kind of like a parenthesis in a sentence. Uh, so we're going to skip the parentheses and just get to the main uh, topic that he's getting to. Look down in verse number 14. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness, John the Baptist bore witness of Him, crying out, saying, he, This is He whom I said would come after me, that is preferred before me, for He was before me. And of His fullness, now these last three verses are very important. He says, and of his fullness we have all received and grace for grace. For the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, and here, here's what we're going to start off at. We're going to start at the end and work our way back down. The only begotten is in the bosom of the Father. He has declared him. Now verse number 18 is the key to everything we just read. Because what verse number 18 is saying is this. You and I have never fully beheld who God actually is. But there is one person that has. And that person has come out of the internal section of the Father, as it were. And you see, when you think of the Trinitarian aspect of God, don't think of this, uh, this, these three separate entities that just kind of hang out. No, they are one in whole. They are in fellowship. They are ultimately the exact same. And so what, Jesus, what the Bible is telling us here is this, is that there's one person that has actually lived on this earth that has ever fully understood the nature of God. And that person is Jesus Christ. That person is not your pastor. I do not fully understand the nature of God. Uh, it's not your grandma. She may have been a great person and probably is a great person, but she does not fully understand the entirety and the intricacies of the nature of God. But the one that is out from God, the Son of God Himself, does. So rather than looking to commentators to find out who God's like, and rather than looking to pastors, even myself, to determine what the nature of God is really like, we need the reality 
that Jesus Christ lived in in order to understand the nature of God. And that's the title of the message this morning. This is the divine reality. Because I want you and I to operate within the terms of what Jesus Christ said is real and not what we think is real. Now, before we get into this, I want to have a word of prayer. So let's pray together. Father, uh, it's very important over these next weeks that... Uh, we are clear about what's being said and that we're precise in what we're believing, uh, not because we're so hung up on being able to shout from the mountaintops how right we are, uh, but it's important that we understand who you are so we can operate in the way that you've designed us to operate. So I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would give a clarity of mind, that the Spirit of God would just change our thoughts if necessary. Uh, where there, are, there is think correct, uh, correct thinking, Lord, I pray that you would just undergird that, uh, encourage us in it, and I pray that as a result of what we hear from the Scriptures uh, over these next few weeks, I pray that you would uh, deepen our walk with you, uh, make it more intense, more real, uh, so we can live from who you are rather than trying to scrounge around and get more of you. And so we pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts in these few moments. In Jesus' name, amen. I was uh, watching a documentary on Netflix because that's what Netflix was originally intended for, right? And it was this, it was kind of boring. I'm not, I mean, you can watch it if you want, but it really wasn't super exciting. It was about these uh, tribal people down in South America that have recently just come into contact with the outside world. I mean, for hundreds and hundreds of years, they had no clue that there were other human beings that were not like them living on the earth. And here just a while back, uh, there was a, um, oh man, an anthropologist, and he was working deep in the Amazon River, and he noticed these tribal peoples coming out of, the, out of the jungle, two or three of them, and they tried to interact just a little bit, but there was a lot of confusion uh, and whatnot. And so the documentary goes on to how the anthropologist went back into where these tribal peoples were at and began introducing things from the outside world, so to speak, to them. Uh, he was basically doing this. There was two forms of reality that were colliding in that moment. And it goes on and it talks about how this one, they follow this one character, this one, I shouldn't say character, this one tribal man, uh, about how he really embraced this new reality, you know. Uh, and he was just fascinated with the fact that no longer did he have to suffer because he didn't have clothes. I mean, just imagine how literally these people were living out in a jungle and they did not have proper clothing to clothe themselves with. So they were just, they were amazed at shirts and jeans and things like that, you know. Uh, they were amazed at the fact that uh, uh, they had metal knives and things of that nature. They showed them how to build shelters and whatnot. When he got in a boat for the first time and went down the Amazon, he was just flabbergasted that a boat could be paddled that fast, you know. So there were a lot of things about his new reality that were very surprising to him. You see, and when we are confronted with something else that we're not used to, there's either one or two things we can do. We can embrace it or we can reject it and we can go still live in the jungle, if you will. Now, I'm not saying their way of life, don't, don't take that wrong, that I'm saying their way of life is not as good as ours, but it is different, isn't it? And this is the point that I want us to get as we go into this this morning, that too often we live in need of a major divine reality exchange. We need God to confront us with who He really is, not because He's trying to prove a point. Religion will make it sound like God wants you to change the way you're thinking so He can say, ha, I'm right, you're wrong. That's not the point. The point is, is that we have been designed to live in union with God. If we don't know what He's like, we're not going to understand the union that we have. And so 
This morning, I want you to see this. This is the gist of the lesson this morning. I want you to see that Jesus Christ is word for word, 100% accurate about His revelation of the Father to us. So much so that you cannot know the Father without knowing the Son. It is impossible. Um, The Scriptures bear witness to Christ and Christ bears witness to God. Notice in verse number 18, it says that no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. Now that word declared is very interesting. We we tend to think it has something to do with speech, and certainly it does to an extent. Uh, But the Greek word for that word declared is the word exergete. Now Ben, you've probably heard that word before. Some of you have. If you've been to a Bible college, you've heard the word exergete. Uh, Exergete is what I'm doing right now. I am hopefully, by God's grace, unfolding what the Scripture says because that's what the word means. It means to fold back so you can get a clear picture of what's happening here. So what verse 18 is telling us is this, is that when Jesus Christ was on the earth, He folded back who God was and said, Now the Pharisees say this, the, temple, you know, the teachers in the temple say this, but this is really who God is. And you know, I'm glad that Jesus Christ came. Wouldn't you hate to be at the mercy of someone else to know who God is? The sad fact is many Christians are, though. They live their lives at mercy for someone else telling them who God is rather than them going to the written word and know the living word. And so we see here that Jesus is laying back. He's unfolding. He's leading out the truth about who God is because that's what that word means. Jesus is the one that truly accurately and at all times has unfolded the nature of God and given hope to the hopeless and frustrated the religious crowd because they didn't really like how Jesus was describing God. They were like, this doesn't match. And you will find as you go into when you yourself and I myself enter into knowing the true nature of God, you're going to find yourself arguing with yourself. You're going to find yourself trying to talk yourself out of the fact that you were wrong about what you believed about God. Now, I can say that experiment, uh, experientially because I've been there. And I've literally looked at the, looked at the Bible and saw it on, on the page, in the context, outside of anybody telling me anything, and thinking to myself, I feel like I'm just losing a grip here. Because suddenly God is challenging some very sacred cows about what I believe. We're very hung up in America about what I believe, aren't we? Oh, man, we... I mean, you can't go to an average college campus without them trying to be sensitive about what I believe. You know, everything is wrapped around what you believe. What's important, now get this, your life will be better spiritually when you adopt as what you believe as what Jesus believes. And I am convinced that Jesus is the purest form of theology that you and I can ever come into contact with. And I hope to show you that over the next a couple of lessons. Now, because of who Jesus is and how he displays and declares the nature of God, there's three things that we're going to look at this morning from verse number 14 that's going to help us understand God's nature and the reality of who he is this morning. The first one is this. I want you to see that God is relatable. Because of who Jesus is and how Jesus lived and what Jesus said, we learn this important fact that God is a relatable deity. And at core, that's what He desires from you and I, is relationship. Now, why do I say that? Look at verse number 14 with me. Now, this is the Christmas verse, right? You put this on your Christmas cards, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Is that true? 
Yeah, it is. But for the believer, the incarnation of Jesus is more than just December the 25th. It is, if it wasn't for the incarnation of Jesus Christ, every day of your life would be mass confusion spiritually. Because notice what he says in verse 14. And the Word became flesh, and notice this, and dwelt among us. You know what, Jesus, you know what the Bible's telling us about Jesus? That Jesus is the enfleshment. Now, I don't know if that's a real word. Don't Google it, okay? It sounds like it should be real, all right? Theologically, we can make it real. But Jesus is the enfleshment of God who is a spirit. John chapter 4, verse number 24, Jesus is speaking with a uh, woman, the woman at the well, you remember that? And uh, the Samaritans, the half-breed Jews, or what they refer to them as, uh, worshipped in Mount Giza. That's where they had a temple that they worshipped, and the Jews... Uh, the, that had the, an untainted bloodline, they worshipped in Jerusalem. And so uh, she brings up this point because knowing that Jesus is a full Jew and she's only half, she says, you Jews say that we should worship in Jerusalem and that's where uh, the, you know, the mother of the faith is, is basically what she says. And Jesus says, woman, you don't even know what you worship. He said, because God is a spirit and those that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. You see, we don't know the form of who God is outside of the person of Jesus Christ. Why? Because God's a spirit. You see, when Jesus on this, was on this earth, He was the embodiment of that spirit. He was the reality that you and I came in contact with, or I should say those people as they lived on the earth, they came in physical contact with a spirit that they had never ever really known before. And I'm convinced after my reading and study of the New Testament, as I'm sure many of you are, until Jesus Christ showed up, I'm convinced there was no one that had ever lived that fully understood who God was. And when Jesus showed up and said, this is God, you know what it ended up happening? They ended up using that as an excuse to nail Him to a cross. Why? Because people don't like their views on God challenged. You can challenge your views on church, and we often do, and you can challenge your views on politics, and holy smokes, don't even get me started there, right? We don't mind all that for the most part, but when we look at a person and we say, what you think about God, there's a good possibility it's wrong. Boy, we tense up, and man, we can just start cracking walnuts with our hands in, right? Why? Because we're just like, I don't think so. Hey, if it was good for my mother, it's good enough for me. You know, we start singing that old-time religion, you know, if it was good for our fathers. Well, okay, maybe it, maybe it was good for their fathers, but there's a good chance your fathers could have been wrong, all right? Believe it or not, except for my kids, your father's always right, all right? <laughs> See, the helpless and hopeless heart of man has always been trying to make God relatable since the start of human history. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned, man has struggled to make God relatable again in their minds, haven't they? So much so that they began to build a tower. You remember that instance? And they built it up to heaven. And by their own efforts, they were trying to relate themselves to God again. And what did God do? God said, this is not going to work. This is not how I relate to you. And he destroyed the whole mess and confounded the languages. See, Jesus came to teach us that God is relatable. This is most importantly shown to us in the carnation where it says that the Word became flesh. We tend to equate this verse with Christmas time, but we need to remember that the Word became flesh 
in a manger was the same word that was flesh when he was 30 years old standing on the banks of the River Jordan. It was the same word that was made flesh when he stood in the temple and he began to speak to the Pharisees and he said, before Abraham was, I am. Which was a pretty intense statement, you know. Same man, same God in the flesh at that point. It was the same cruciformed Christ on the cross that was still God in the flesh. You see, the apex of understanding the nature and character of God was fully displayed for you and I when He was nailed on a cross. Because in that moment, the God-man gave up physical life, which is absolutely incomprehensible to us, isn't it? If you really stop and ponder that, you know, you, you have a better chance of actually licking your elbow than you do to understand how it is that a deity would die in that form. Every other deity demands something from you. Only the deity of the Bible gives something to you. And that something that he gave you and I was himself. Jesus reveals that to us about the nature of God. Here's a very interesting verse over in 1 John. He goes on and he says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, and notice how he describes it, which we have seen with our eyes, it almost seems redundant when he says stuff like that. If you say you see something, you don't have to say with your eyes. You don't see with your ear, all right? He's being emphatic here. He's saying, which we have seen with our, uh, with our eyes, which we have looked upon, our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life, now, and this is an important word, was manifest. In your Greek language, when you see that phrase, the word the life, that is an emphatic statement. It's kind of like saying something like, you know, Nick is the father of, and listing the children, you know. It's like saying that, you know, uh, Kevin is the forklift driver. It is an emphatic statement about a person's identity. And what the Bible is telling us here is that Jesus Christ was the life that was manifested to you and to me. He says, and we have seen it and bear witness and declare to you that the eternal life which was with the Father was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard we declare to you. Now notice this, why? Why does he declare who Jesus is for this reason? That you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Why? Because they want you to understand that God is relatable. I can remember um, a particular message when I was in Bible college. <clears throat> it was, I think it was like an opening revival or something like that. They would have an opening revival, spring revival, every other Saturday revival. So we were constantly in chapel, which was a good thing to an extent. And so I was sitting there, and the, the man preached this entire message on the holiness of God. And let me tell you something. It was intense. I mean, it was thick in the room. And I can appreciate how he describes how holy God is. I think he did an accurate job at describing how holy God is. But there's one thing that's missed. There's one thing that was overlooked that made me take this intense picture of the holiness of God, and it crushed me was the simple fact that the holiness of God is revealed in the relatable person of Jesus Christ. You see, when you leave Jesus Christ out of the equation, the holiness of God will destroy you. When you leave Jesus Christ out of the equation, the sovereignty of God will wreck you. When you leave Jesus Christ out of the equ equation, the, de the determined plan of God for eternity 
will completely baffle you to the point to where you'll want to give up. Because it doesn't, none of those things make God relatable. Jesus Christ makes God relatable. He became flesh and He dwelt among us. Why? So we can know the fellowship of Father and Son. This truth of fellowship brings us to that phrase, and He dwelt among us. Now, religion is constantly forcing down your throat that you in some way obtain a close fellowship with God. You do something. You sacrifice enough, long enough, and hard enough, and then you're going to be able to enter into this special fellowship with God that no other believer has. You know, and they kind of they make it come across, and I'll tell you what we do in a modern American culture. The people that have the super deep relationship with God are the ones that are going to the Bible colleges everywhere. And we bring them back into church buildings and we lift them all up and we say, here's God's... I have literally heard uh, people that are called into ministry as God's SEAL Team 6 or something. Like everybody else are just these, you know, well, all you other people that come to... Yeah, exactly. It's very arrogant. Yeah, you're privates, right. That's right. I'm, I'm about to go... What is that to move? I'm not even going to go there. All right, but... <laughs> But we kind of, you know what we do? We begin to say that there are these people that have super deep relationships with God. There are these people that have a super intimacy with God. And then everybody else just rides their coattails. Well, now that's pretty sad. I don't want to live my life like that. I know you don't want to live yours like that. And so what the Bible is telling us here is that Jesus Christ came to show the relatable nature of God in various ways. The first being that we don't reach out to Him. He comes down to us. There used to be a song that says, when he reached down, he reached way down for me. And that's all I'm going to sing for you, all right? It sounds really good, but God didn't reach anywhere. God literally showed up on the scene. He didn't, you know, he didn't lean over out of a recliner like when you drop your remote and you're too lazy to stand up. You know what I'm saying? He didn't call somebody else over and say, I don't feel like going down there. Uh, yeah, just send in, you know, send in the, the second string, you know, he can take care of it. That's not what happened here. When Jesus Christ, when his first breath was taken after his birth, God was saying, this is how people will relate to me. And you see, when we consider Jesus being born, it, you know, it really is counterintuitive to what you think deity would be like. I mean, if we were deity, we would be like Zeus, you know, man. We bam, kick in the door, you know what I'm saying? I'm here, fools! And, you know, we would begin to force worship on people. Jesus Christ being born did not even come onto the scene until he was 30 years old. For 30 years, the God-man lived, we could say, undetectedly in a little village in some backwater suburb town of Jerusalem and grew up there. And nobody knew it. Now, that is amazing. You see, he came and he dwelt among us. Jesus' philosophy of ministry, when, he, when the Father said it's time, his philosophy of ministry was this, be with people. That was his ministry. You go through the New Testament, you don't even have to be a theological genius to see that all Jesus did was spend time with people. spend time And with the people that you and I would huddle our children back behind us when they came around. Now, I'm not saying... Now, I'm not even going to get into that. Let's look at this phrase here, this verse. John 14. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's all another sermon, okay? We'll get to it. I know it makes you nervous. 
It's not law, it's commandments. He goes on and says, And I will pray the Father, and He will give you another helper, that He may abide with you for how long? Forever. He goes on and says, The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but here it is, but you know Him. How in the world could Jesus look at these men and say, You know Him? Because He was sitting right next to them. That, that right there, JetBlue commercial, boom, right there when I think about that. That when Jesus, I don't even think they realized what Jesus was getting at. You know, I could kind of look at him and say, you know, I, a lot of times we look at Jesus and he was like, and you shall know him. You know, and that's like he's very kind of flat and deadpan. But I can almost see him kind of chuckle a little bit and say, but you know him. And he was talking about himself. He says, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And I love that phrase. He says, I will not leave you orphans. Religion always leaves you as an orphan, as you are always having to beg to have some kind of parental relationship with religion. When Jesus says the exact opposite, he says, I won't leave you an orphan. And he says, I will come to you. You see, the fact that Jesus dwelt among us tells us this, that he intended to forever dwell in us. You see, the character of Jesus, his actions, and his words tell us that God is relatable. And I, I don't know, I think I read this a while back, but it, it still sticks with me today. God is more committed to you than you ever could dream of being committed to him. All right? So, but we preach a whole lot about your commitment to him, don't we? But the truth of the matter is this, is when we weren't even committed to him, when we didn't even know him, Jesus Christ, the enfleshment of the Spirit of God Himself, the Godhead, came down to earth, lived undetected for 30 years, went out into public, declared who the Father was, was crucified and rose again from the dead before we have ever dreamed of making any promise to Him at any altar anywhere on the face of the earth. You see, whereas one time Jesus dwelt among us, He now dwells in us. Second thing is this this morning. I've got to hurry up. Of course, you know I was probably going to say that. I want you to see number two, because of Jesus, we learn that God is observable. Now, this is, and I, hopefully this, I'm going to try to make sure I don't make this convoluted when I get into it. But notice what it says in verse 14. He says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, here's, here's another point. And we beheld his glory. We observed something and do observe something and, th or, and truth about God by seeing who Jesus Christ is. Now, here, here's a pretty out-and-out -out statement, and I put it on the Facebook page this morning if you caught that poster you got here. God is Christ-like. We often say Christ is God-like, and He is but we also have to understand that God is Christ-like. We cannot divorce the natures of either one of these beings, if I can put it that way. I think you see what I'm getting at. You see, because the Bible tells us this, He is the image of the invisible God. You say, well, what is, G what is God like? Well, according to that verse, He is like God, is like Jesus, according to that verse. Now, I'm not saying, this verse is not saying to us that when you saw Jesus's uh, physical makeup, that that's what God looked like. That's not what this verse is telling us. 
when we talk about the image of God, what we're talking about is the express nature, is what it says over in Philippians chapter 2, that he was the express nature of God. That when you saw Jesus and you saw his interaction and you heard what he said and you looked at how he interacted with other people, you were essentially looking dead into the soul, if I can put it that way, of who God is. You were seeing the image of God. The word image gives the, this idea in the Greek language, it gives the idea of an exact likeness. All right? Jesus, what Jesus did represents who God really is and what God is really like. How Jesus related to the Father, now get this, how Jesus related to his Father is how God wants you to relate to him as Father. The same exact way. You know, well, let's move on. I don't want to take too much time in that. Notice that phrase there in verse number 14. It says that we beheld his glory as the, on, as the glory of the only begotten of the Father. Now, it's interesting that he says that. What is the glory? You, I mean, I've heard tons of messages on the glory of God. And what I'm about to say uh, is not to infer that they were wrong and this one's right. I think this is part of all of it. But this glory that's being talked about here is this. Is that Jesus' constant referral to God as his Father is where we see the glory of God displayed in the life of Jesus. Because what we're seeing in Jesus' life on this earth, we're seeing a perfect representation of how God intended man to relate to him as a father. That, now get this. As a result, and this is my way of thinking, I don't know if this is here says buddy or here says the Lord, but I, I feel like this is a good you know, assertion from this verse. And this is my thought. Is that the glory of God is best revealed on the earth when you relate to Him and live with Him as He intended. That's why the Bible says that Jesus has led many sons unto glory. He's not talking about leading them necessarily into the heavenlies, though that's going to happen, but He's talking about that Jesus leads many sons into a relationship with their Father. That's where the glory of God is shown the most on the earth. It's not shown on how tall the steeple is on a building somewhere. It's not shown on how elaborate the inside of it is. It is shown in the fact that people that were hopelessly separated from God are now eternally connected with Him as their Father. And it blows the mind of the religious because the religious say, you don't deserve to say that about yourself. And as a result, we say, Amen. You're absolutely right. We don't deserve to say it about ourselves. But that's why they call it grace. See, it was the display of His sonship that brought glory. Notice what the Bible says here in Galatians. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as what? As sons. Now, ladies, you, you can put the word daughter there and it's fine because it's not a son-daughter thing as much as it is a child thing. And what he goes on and he says, and because you were sons, God has sent forth, get this, we would argue this point so much that, no, I don't know, I don't deserve to be the son of God. I don't deserve to have that sonship relationship with God. God knew what we would do. And so not only did he send the spirit of his son into our hearts, 
He also sent that Spirit into our hearts crying out, Abba, Father. You know why? Because He knows how hard-headed we are about it. And He knows that we need some sort of outside, deified influence living inside of us to convince us that what the gospel did really worked. So the Spirit of God comes out and says, Abba, Father. And then He says this, just to make sure we get it. He says, listen, as a result, you are no longer slaves, but you're now sons. You see, this reveals the nature of God. You see, the nature of God is not revealed to you and I in circumstances. We better come to terms with that right now. Because this world is terrible to live in. This world, listen, this world has, a, has been in a spiritual train wreck. And as you walk through it, all you see is the fallout of the wreck. So we can't expect circumstances to dictate to you and I the nature of God. Because if they do, we are going to come to a wrong conclusion based on something that's already been broken. In the end of this verse here, it says, and I'm trying to hurry. Can you give me like 10 more minutes? Is that cool? I, I, my wife is saying no, shh, 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 but no, she's not. Are you? Okay, she won't answer now. <laughs> I know I set you up. But uh, let's, look at, let's, let's hurry up and finish up here. This is good stuff. He says in verse 14, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. And notice this, full of, uh, full of grace and truth. So we see that God is observable because Jesus displays sonship, but Jesus also displays an authenticity about God. Because what He says is this, is that Jesus comes along and says, I have truth for you, but I also have grace. You see, it's unfortunate because what religion comes along and it does, and it tells you that grace is the enemy of truth, and truth is the enemy of grace. Like grace is this way of operating that is completely devoid of truth in order to make truth palatable. You see what I'm saying? Uh, it's kind of like they make truth, make grace out to be somebody pinching your nose while they give you a spoonful of medicine type of a thing. Like they're contradictory to one another. You see what I mean? But grace and truth run parallel. And when G Jesus showed up on the earth, Jesus, that glory that re Jesus revealed to us is that we can have a realistic union with God. A real based, reality-based relationship where you don't have to pretend that things aren't true in order to live by His grace. You see, because that's what religion does. Religion comes along and says, here's the truth. And they give you no grace along with that and they make it sound like God's unrelatable because of this truth. You're a sinner. Well, that's, that, that's true. If a person's unsaved, they're a sinner separated from God. The truth that makes God relatable is the grace that Jesus Christ has taken care of the sin. You see, that's the truth that every believer still needs to live in. That there are things that are true about righteousness and holiness and sin and obedience and disobedience. There's things that are true, but we have to understand the grace of God gives us a position to where we don't have to pretend like it's not real. I don't have to pretend like I don't have the problem because there's grace and there's truth. The irony of Jesus' life is that every time he was confronted by the religious crowd, he was not confronted for promoting too much law and condemnation, but he was, promoted, he was confronted by promoting too much grace. If he, would not, if he would have had any idea what kind of person this woman was, he would not allow her to touch him. 
That was an exact quote about from the religious crowd to Jesus. You know, how dare he go eat with the little short fella that climbed the tree? This guy is a crook and a robber, and he's going to hang out and eat with this guy. Who does Jesus think he is talking to this fast, loose-living woman next to a well by himself? Who does he think he is? Well, the fact of the matter is this, is that Jesus knew who he was. That's why he could do what he did. Grace enables us. This idea of grace and truth. Now, folks, this is very important. I guess I say that about everything, but this is important too. Grace enables you and I to come out of hiding. And truth enables you and I to walk in the light. You see, because of grace, you don't have to pretend that you're something you're not. Because when God brings truth to us, He's not going to cut the grace off. The grace and the truth run with each other. So you have the ability to come out of the dark and stop hiding and be real because God is observable. We can see this played out in the life of Jesus Christ. I've heard well-meaning people say things like, oh, you're going to answer to God for that one day. You know what my new thought pattern to that is? I would rather answer to God than anybody else on the face of this earth. I would. Now, that's not to say your opinion doesn't matter. I'm not saying that. But if there's going to be some sort of ultimate judgment about who I am and my behavior, I would rather answer to God with it. Why? Because Jesus has demonstrated to me that he's full of grace and he's full of truth. Can I look at the last one real quick, please? All right, please, real fast. Hopefully, Children's Church is not falling apart. I don't smell smoke. I don't hear screaming, so that's good. All right, real quick, look down in verse... I shouldn't have said that. We're probably going to smell and hear both in a minute. Jesus, because of Jesus, God is definable. And what I mean by that is, in verse number 16, notice what it says. And because of His fullness, we have all received grace for grace. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten of the Son, who is in the bosom of the Father. He has declared Him. Now, when I say God is definable, I'm not saying that every single thing about Him is comprehensible by us. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, though, is that Jesus has revealed some very real things and laid them out for us so we can look at them, grab them, and say, this is what God is like right here. We can say that for a certain. And it's not arrogant because it was Jesus' idea, not ours. And what I mean to convey is this, is that you can understand who He is, how He relates to you, how He relates to other people, and what His intentions are by looking at the person of Jesus Christ. The letter of Hebrews states this, God, who at various times and in various ways, now notice this phrase, spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, by other humans. Then He says, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son. Now, I want to get this. Jesus is what God had to say to you and I. If God had to have a final word towards you and He could not say another thing, He would say what He said on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is my beloved Son. Hear ye Him. That's what God would say. Matter of fact, it's what God says today. You want to know? Listen to the Son. 
because the Son reveals all things about the Father, and that is exactly what Jesus Christ himself said. He goes on and it says that he, through this, this God-man, Jesus, he made the worlds, who's the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. That phrase, the express image, means an exact etching of. We can, if we were to put and make that kind of more of a relatable noun, we would say it's kind of like a tap and die set. I've got one at work. Eric and I use it to stamp things into keys. Basically, what it's saying here is this. And when you look at Jesus Christ, you are seeing the divine etchment or the stamp of the nature and character of God right in front of our faces, so to speak. It is the expressed exact image of something. God is definable because Jesus revealed him to us in certain terms. We know him not simply and solely through the instruction of Jesus, but also the lifestyle of Jesus. It is here that we see boots-on-the-ground reality when it comes to deity, is Jesus Christ. I like what one man said, and I think I already quoted it once. I've come to believe that perfect theology is Jesus. So we need to start thinking that Jesus is not only like God, but that God is like Jesus. Let me ask you this question. We're going to finish up. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ and you're completely unsure of how you relate to him, or I would even say this, if there's some form of question mark in your mind, am I related to God spiritually? Jesus answers that question for you. Because in John chapter 1 and verse 12, it says, But as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become the sons of God, even to those that believe on his name. You see, Jesus is the one that grants in his grace the right for a person to say, I have seen, I have received, and I am a son of God because of what Jesus has done for me. For the Christian... I wonder if you're willing to let God point out that sacred cow about how you, what you think about Jesus or what you think about God. Are you willing to take that little, that little ornamentation that we have decorated so carefully with all of our years of church attendance and all of our moments of these light bulbs we felt like went off and we have stapled these definitions on this little ornamentation and we've said this is what God is like. Are you willing to, for God to put that in God's hand and He take it and just utterly crush it? Because that's what we need in some places. We need God to ultimately destroy these false assumptions that we've come to about Him and draw our conclusions about who God is from the only person that has literally seen Him. And that person is Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. That still holds true for every believer. Every saved person needs it, just like every unsaved person needs it. Mm -hmm.